Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to episode 188 of the MyFit Podcast. This week, I'm thrilled to chat with best-selling author Joseph Wynn. Joseph has devoted his life to helping others see beyond what they can currently see and live a limitless and creative life full of passion and inspiration. His new book titled Don't Believe Everything You Think is an incredible guide to helping people overcome anxiety, self-doubt, and self-sabotage without needing to rely on things like motivation or willpower. Joseph is a well-spoken, deep thinker who is full of wisdom and advice for anybody with an open mind and willingness to improve their mindset. The first topic we got into was probably the biggest, and I wanted to get right to it. And I asked the question, why shouldn't we believe everything we think? Obviously, it's the title of his book, and I wanted to hear a brief summary of why we shouldn't believe everything that goes into our mind. Then we talked about how to create awareness and how to ask the right questions around our thoughts. If you've been following the show or you know me, you know that I love the power of questions and how great questions lead to great answers. And Joseph puts a little bit of a spin and adds to that and talks a little bit about the the psychology of what happens when we ask the right questions, how we create a little bit of space when the right questions get asked to us. After that, we talked about how to observe the world versus being consumed by it. And it's this natural separation of how you see the world as more of an observation rather than being so consumed and within it. It's a key difference there. After that, we talked about the difference between thoughts and thinking, which is a major theme in his book. Then we talked about how to prevent overthinking. We talked about why choice equals freedom. We got into one of my favorite quotes of all time, which is, nothing is nor good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And we talked about getting into a flow state and how when you're in a flow state, just like Stephen Kotler said on the show, there is no thinking. Uh, There is no distractions. You're in ultimate focus. Time just vanishes. And uh, Joseph talks about how when people overthink, there's no way they can get themselves into flow. When they talk, when you hear interviews from um, famous athletes after making a big shot, the interviewer will sometimes ask, "What were you thinking? What was going through your mind?" And I'll, and usually the answer is quite simple, something along the lines of, "I wasn't thinking," or "I just wanted the ball to go through the hoop." Uh, something just very directional. I think that's really powerful in understanding how to get in a flow state is really thinking less. And then at the end, we talked about the most powerful quote. Thinking is the root cause of our suffering. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to leave a rating review and share it on your social medias. Your five-star feedback helps the show grow tremendously and also helps to bring on more amazing guests like Joseph. 
I hope you guys enjoy this episode. We'll see you next week. Let's go. My Fit Podcast is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. With none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, and no BS. Healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. And it makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat. So both need to be replaced to prevent things like muscle cramps, headaches, and energy dips. There are several flavors to choose from. My favorite is the citrus salt, which is how I start every single day. And as listeners of the MyFit Podcast, you can now receive a free Element sample pack with any order by using the link www.drinkelement.com forward slash MyFit. Again, that's www.drinklmnt.com forward slash M-I-F-I-T. Go get yours now. Joseph, welcome to the MyFit Podcast. Thanks so much, DJ. I appreciate it. You recently wrote a book that I just absolutely loved called Don't Believe Everything You Think. I'm going to start with a question that is pretty direct. Joseph, why shouldn't we believe everything that we think? What I'll start with is how is your life right now if you believe everything that you think? Every single thought that comes into your mind, most of us believe it wholeheartedly. And with that, how do you really feel about your life right now? And if you take a really good look at it, most people are unhappy with the way that things are. And that's because we believe everything that we think. If someone tells us that we don't look good or that we're not strong enough or not fast enough or not good enough, and we believe it, what does that do to us? What does that do to how we think about ourselves? What does that do to our self-confidence, self-worth? Our peace, joy, love, all of that is stripped away when we do believe everything that we think. Um, and if you just ask yourself, is every single thing that I'm thinking true? Then you can break that cycle. And it's really as simple as that. But usually the truth is, is simple. And anything that becomes quite complex is only further away from that fundamental truth. It seems like nowadays there is more and more voices, distractions, social media, call whatever you want that can kind of lure us into this spiral thinking. You know, I think, I don't know the statistics offhand, Joseph, but anxiety now in 2022 is, you know, 10x more common than it was in 2010 and even 2000 and before that. Talk to me a little bit about what are your thoughts on anxiety and where it is in today's world and how maybe, you know, we can start to attack that issue, if you will, with some of the ways that we go about thinking. Yeah. So all feelings come from inside of us. So I could talk infinitely about how many external stimuli there are that will quote unquote cause us to be anxious. Um, and the world has done a very good job of conditioning us as such, because as soon as we come into this world, if we do not make our parents happy, they will get mad and scream at us even when we did not even understand language yet, but we could feel their energy of yelling, screaming, anger, frustration. 
and we internalize that. And so from that point, we start believing that we have to suppress our own emotions in order to make other people happy or to prevent from other people from becoming upset, frustrated, angry, jealous, any of that stuff. And so that's really how we began to believe all of these things that we have to uh, essentially hide who we are, hide anything that's going on internally. Um, and we've been taught that we should think about other people first, that we should always be serving first, always be worrying about what other people think before ourselves. And you're selfish if you take care of yourself first, which is probably the biggest fallacy that we fall under. And so, you know, mothers probably are, are the most susceptible to this, where they always take care of everyone else except themselves. And what happens as a byproduct, like if you don't put on your own oxygen mask, how many people you, can you actually help? Um, if your cup is not full, how can you pour from, you know, an empty cup, so to speak? So that's kind of the trap that we really fall into. Um, and, you know, business uh, for... A large majority of businesses, they make a lot of money by uh, controlling or monetizing our attention. So with that, and, and a lot of businesses make money off of us not feeling enough. That's, that's the economic engine that we live in right now. Because they have these ads up that say, oh, like you can have this beautiful glowing skin, or you can be stronger, or you can be bigger, you can be faster all these different things uh, if you take this thing, which means that you're not enough right now as you are. So businesses are built in a way that feeds off of this lack that, that we feel inside. Um, and you know, the good news is that we can take back that power because no one can actually force us to do anything. Um, but if we believe that we're not enough now, then we'll fall under that susceptibility of believing all those uh, illusions that they're kind of putting forth. So like, do you actually need that thing to become faster? Do you actually need that thing to become braver, stronger, more confident, uh, feel like you have enough, feel like you're, you have success? Like, do you actually need that physical object to tell you that you are enough, that you are successful? Um, and is success at the end of the day, what you achieve or how you feel about yourself? So everything perpetuates this thinking cycle of we're not enough um so it's really difficult to break that without awareness of it but once you start seeing how every like we see thousands of ads every single day and if you kind of observe it versus being involved in it um you can create some space between what's there the stimulus and what's going on in your head with that space that's created, you can kind of then observe, how do you feel about this? What are they actually saying right now? Are they saying that you need this product so that you can achieve your goal? And if you believe that, then you're going to buy it. Um, and when you buy it and you don't achieve it, or if you do achieve it, then you feel like you need more of that to achieve the next thing. And so that's the perpetuating cycle. Um, but at the end of the day, what we're all going for is a feeling that's what we're optimizing for why do we want money it's not to physically hold a wad of cash and sleep on it at night um it's for security that feeling of security the, the feeling of freedom the feeling of power whatever that 
that feeling is. But at the end of the day, it's a feeling. Why do we want a, a watch or a Rolex? Like it doesn't tell time better than a $1 Walmart watch, but we want it because it makes us feel something, status, success, prestige, whatever it is. So take a look at what you're trying to feel at the end of the day. And that's what drives every single decision. And I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard that we don't make logical decisions. We make emotional decisions and justify it with logic. You can always find evidence to justify anything. But at the end of the day, it's our emotions that we're following because that's what we want to feel at the end of the day. Uh, we want to feel peace, love, and joy. And all of our life, we're trying to attain that feeling. And when we try to that's why we try to get external objects so that we can feel that inside. But of course, external objects, like anything else in life, come and go. So as soon as we lose it, we lose that feeling. And even when we have it, we become used to it and we lose that same feeling. And so the only way to break out of that cycle is to realize that we're all optimizing for feelings and to realize that feelings only come from the inside, not from the outside. The outside object was only a physical reminder that you could feel something inside that external object gave you permission to feel what you already had within you that's all it is the world is a mirror but if you can remember that all of it comes from within you then you don't need necessarily that external object for you to feel how you want to feel inside um so that's at a, at a broad sense how you know anxiety is formed and what the thinking process is and you know a little bit about the process of becoming aware of that whole entire vicious cycle i want to go back to uh the beginning of that you taught you said a very powerful question i love questions obviously that's why i'm in the position i am being a podcaster but one of the questions that i thought was just so profound and so simple that you said was is it true and asking the question to yourself, is this even true? I've had a couple podcast or a couple guests on the show that have talked about the stories in your head and being the narrator of your story. And we all have this inner voice. And step one is being aware of the inner voice. And how often, Joseph, is it that we go through a period of life, sometimes much longer than other people, without even asking the question, is it true? Can you break down the power of those three words for me? Yeah, it's it's a Beautiful set of questions. I think Byron Katie is, is the one that really popularized this, this question. So a lot of credit goes to, to her for creating, uh, and, and just receiving that idea and, and, um, really bringing it forward, proliferating it. What I love so much about it is that, I mean, it's, it's any question really that, although that question is very powerful, I think almost any question, with the right intention um, that almost contradicts what you're thinking or challenges what you're thinking is a powerful question. Um, I think different questions lead to different answers and the quality of your questions will determine the quality of your answers. What's crazy is that the mind, it's, it's almost impossible for the mind to not answer a question. Even if you ask a question to yourself that you don't know, you saying, I don't know, is an answer to that question. And that sometimes might be the most uh, life-changing place to be in, a place of not knowing, the unknown, um, because that is where all possibilities exist. All possibilities don't exist where we know things, because that's confined by what we're thinking. So that's, if you want to call it like the quantum field, if you want to call it the universe, if you want to call it 
whatever else, but the unknown is essentially where all of those possibilities exist. And that's what questions do. They, um, I, I love physics and quantum physics, but there's a very basic, uh, you know, law that says an object in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by an external force. So your negative thinking will stay in motion unless it is acted upon by an external force. We as humans have this gift of consciousness, which is technically an external force that you can act upon this negative thinking. We can always become aware of what we're thinking and that we're thinking, period. So with a question, what it does is it intercepts that, that cycle and it starts to break it, you know, temporarily. And once you break that and ask a question, you're not thinking anymore because something came in and a question opens it up. Thinking only perpetuates the same thing that you're thinking. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Here's five different reasons why. Here's my childhood memories that prove that this is true. So like the thinking only perpetuates questions, stop it and create an opening. And what questions actually do is that creates space in your mind. What is space? It's nothing. Space. But just because it's nothing doesn't mean it's not something. With that space, you know, in order for there to be new creation, there must first be space. So if you're thinking there's no space, your cup is full. Let's imagine you have a little teacup. That thing is chock full. You can't put anything else in it. But what a question does is it actually empties your cup and creates that space for an opportunity for new thoughts to come in. And that's essentially what an insight is. Something you haven't thought of before, something you haven't considered. But you have to ask the question first or be open to receiving different answers uh, for that to come in and for that to radically change your life. So, but most of us never have that space. Most of us never ask the hard questions because we don't want to know the answers. Um, or we're afraid of what it might feel like. So it, it is a really amazing thing to be able to have the courage to ask that question um, and to see what's on the other side. And it's completely okay if you don't know the answer. That's, that's the whole point. Because if you knew the answer, you, one, would have already done it, or two, you would just keep thinking the same thing because you already know the answer and you're replaying that same story over and over and over again. So there's no new ending. Um, what questions create that new ending for you? That's why therapy is so profound. I mean, that's a lot of what therapy is, is a therapist asking you questions. I think it's also a great reminder too, Joseph, for your friends out there. If you're listening to the show, maybe, maybe it's not even for yourself, but just for your friends, be able to ask some questions so you can create some space. I mean, just thinking a little bit more practically here, helping your friends get a breakthrough can just simply be asking a series of questions. Yes, you can do it to yourself, but what a great way to help out a friend is to create that space for them. Oh yeah. That's, you know, what you, what I would say is what you do for yourself is what you do for the world. Um, most people think the opposite way where they're going and trying to help other people first but sacrifice themselves in the process. Um, it's a very difficult way to live life. But once you start asking yourself these questions first, once you start taking care of yourself first, once you start doing all these things first for yourself, um, the impact is, is inevitable externally. It's impossible for you not to be able to help your friends, be able to affect those around you. Sometimes you don't have to say anything, but your presence alone, because you have a deeper awareness of these things, that people can sense it, they can feel it. There's an aura. Um, and so that's what I would always say is like, the more that you're able to bring in these things to yourself, inevitably, you know, uh, a rising tide lifts all ships, so to speak.
So just knowing that you are the ocean and not, you know, the little tiny ships <laughs> that are bobbing and weaving and freaking out, you know, with every single, you know, turbulent wave, but that you're not a wave, but you are the whole ocean. Um, there's a couple of really deep things there, but essentially that's what it is. I want to circle back to, you talked about the world that we live in and it's full of noise and, and the media and billboards and all these things saying that we're not good enough. I think it's super interesting. What, what sort of practical advice or frameworks do you have for people to, you talked about, you know, observing instead of being involved. What are some, do you have any practical advice for people to make sure that they don't get consumed too much by those thoughts and, 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 and fall into the trap of believing they're not good enough? Mm -hmm. So again, it's super simple and it doesn't require something complex. <clears throat> what I'll say is we first have to understand the difference between thoughts and thinking. Um, and this is in the book, but thoughts are inherently neutral. It, it's just information. We cannot stop thoughts and we can't really control what comes into our minds. And we don't really know what the next thought that we're going to have is, but that's okay because thoughts are inherently neutral. So they don't really affect us until we start thinking about them. Thinking is the manual act of thinking about the thought that is in your mind. So when we think, that is when we start, you know, I'll give you an example. So this shirt I'm wearing or something like that, or even my hair, right? So it's like, oh, this is my hair. It's this length. That's a thought. Thinking would be, this, this actually could be, this is actually pretty ugly. So that makes me feel bad. Or I'm, you know, the, 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 the thought is, this is my body weight right now. Thinking is, oh, it's not, it, it's, I'm not at my goal yet or I'm not good enough, or uh, I'm comparing myself to other people, or I'm not hitting my weight class, whatever it is. Um, that's thinking. The thought was just, I am X pounds. And so back to your point before on how we create stories, thinking is what creates the stories in our mind. Thinking is when we cast our conditions, our judgments, our criticisms, and it creates the duality of life, saying this is good, this is bad. Without thinking, the thought is just there. It's neutral, like we were saying before, completely. And that's essentially the crux of the whole book. And, and this philosophy, whatever you want to call it, is thoughts are inevitable. Thinking about them is unnecessary. The thinking is what creates suffering. So first we have to understand that thinking is the root cause of all suffering. If we're feeling any sort of negative emotion, quote unquote negative, right? Um, it's not really any negative emotion because it all serves a higher purpose and helps us become aware. It's like when you're working, like uh, when you're <laughs> like doing sports or working out, like there's pain there, but that's not necessarily bad. Um, once you start understanding this, then, you know, suffering isn't necessarily a bad thing, but actually aids and uh pushes you towards fulfillment and enlightenment uh but for the sake of ease of uh simplicity and, and uh explanation we'll just say if you're experiencing any negative emotion it's because you are thinking period that's it and a way to prove this is what emotion do you feel when you're not thinking like what emotion do you feel when you're not thinking um, 
I don't know if there is a lot of emotion. Maybe it's definitely, if I'm not thinking, it's definitely not negative. Um, maybe I'm, I just feel, um, no, I don't know, Joseph, normal, just at ease, at peace. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, at peace is what I'd probably say. That's exactly it. That's yeah. our natural state. Hmm. Total Oof. calm, serenity, peace. It doesn't necessarily have to be a positive emotion, like I was saying before, that labels kind of convolute things and it's unnecessary, but um, it helps people understand. But essentially, it's peace. Hmm. So it's only when we think that we get ejected out of that natural state. Like when babies come into this world, are they thinking about how they look, how they feel, like how their their body proportions aren't normal, or if they have a big head, or if they're not smart enough or good enough for their mom? Like that's not that's not what they think about. They they just are. They're not thinking at all, and that's why they're mostly bliss until there's some sort of physical bodily need that they ha that they have. Um, but other than that, they're they're in a state of peace, and that's what nature is, and that's what you want to look for or look towards when you want to find the truth in something. Um, nature is a great mirror for that. So a practical way is first understanding that thinking is the root cause of all suffering and using your negative emotions as a trigger, essentially a cue that you are thinking. That's it. If you can link those two things, you've done 80% of the work because in that moment that you become aware that you're thinking is like, oh, like, oh, like thinking is the root cause of suffering. And I'm thinking that's why I'm feeling this. That's, that's most of the work. At that point, all I have to do is just repeat that to yourself a few times. Take in a few deep breaths. I've heard that that helps a lot of people ground themselves and anchor themselves into the present moment. And allow whatever thought came in to pass. If you realize that thinking is the root cause of all suffering, you will stop. It's, it's like as simple as, okay, well, what do you do when your hand touches a a burning hot stove you're, you're gonna stop touching it um if you realize that that is the source of pain so most of us don't realize what the actual source of pain is they like most of us think it's my mom that's causing my source of pain or it's other people or it's the government or it's schools or it's and you can't control that which is why it perpetuates the cycle but if you realize that it's only you're thinking about what your mom said or what other someone else said then you bring the power back to yourself and you realize that you can stop thinking. Mm. You can stop yeah. that chat. You can stop that story. You can stop that narration, that, that condition that you put on yourself that I'm not going to be happy until this thing happens until I, I accomplish my goal or until I uh, amass this amount of wealth, but it, that's thinking. And if you let go of that thinking, you're at peace again. So that's, it's really a two-step process. One is realizing that thinking is what causes all suffering and then letting go of it. Letting go of it really is a byproduct. Like you don't have to do anything to let go. You just you just let go. <laughs> like if I'm holding this mouse, like what do I have to do to let go? I just I just let go of it. Um, you know, if I if I realize if I hold this thing up, this like fifty pound dumbbell in my hand, like up away over my head, and it's causing me severe pain after like two hours, I probably want to just let go of it, and that would let go of the pain. That's essentially the same thing with our thoughts. The longer we hold on to a thought, like if you hold on to a freaking dumbbell for like five hours, that thing's going to hurt. But most of us hold on to our thoughts for how long? Lifetime. Months, lifetimes, years, decades. 
that's why it hurts so much is because we're holding on to that thought i think the buddha said like attachment is a root of all suffering uh, how does attachment happen it's through the process of thinking us thinking about our thoughts is what creates that attachment and what causes us to clench right that stress and the longer we hold on to it the more painful it is and if we realize that it's us that's that's thinking that's causing that then we can let go of it but most of us again didn't realize that it's our thinking that's causing it all we think it's something else um, we think it's an external thing that's causing us uh, all these emotions i love that i love the analogy of holding the weight i think that's i i, I can I can resonate with that. I can visualize it. I can even feel that and also feel what it would feel like to let go and feel so much freer. I would say before you get to that point, Joseph, you got it. Awareness has got to be a huge component of this. And Cheryl Sandberg, Sandberg had an awesome quote that you put in to your uh, book. We cannot change what we are not aware of. And once we are aware, we cannot help but change. I've, I love that quote, man. I, I mean, how great is that? Before any of this happens, we got to create some awareness. Correct. And what's, what's crazy is life, the universe, will do everything in its power to help you become aware. It is giving you infinite amounts of events, circumstances, stimuli that is reminding you to look inwards, that is reminding you to become aware. Every single ad you see, every single person you talk to, every single argument you get into, every single frustration, every single ounce of guilt that you have is the world reminding you to become aware it will and it will and people always ask why does this keep happening to me because you're not aware of it yet you're not aware of what's actually happened you're not aware that your thinking is causing your suffering and it will keep giving you these things until we learn the lesson to become aware and once we're aware the pain actually magnifies which is a really beautiful thing so that's why it's kind of a natural process of life um, we don't have to try so hard to be aware uh, because it's painful and wherever pain is our attention goes and it, it, it we're made aware of it instantly it's really hard not to know that we're in, in some sort of emotional or psychological pain even more obvious we're in physical pain and psychological will affect the physical anyway so at that point that's why i was saying it's really important to link the trigger of when we feel some sort of negative emotion it's because we're thinking so that's what creates that awareness, that, that, that trigger in our mind. Um, the, the pain itself can lead to that awareness. And that's all you really need to do is just remember that. And simple as taking a few deep breaths and realizing that it's the root cause of all suffering. And it's kind of a, a, a powerful mantra that allows us to create that space and to allow ourselves to feel whatever it is that we need to feel. That no emotion is right or wrong, but emotions are meant to be felt and experienced that's it and once that happens it, it passes it's very empowering to know that we're we're the captain of our own ship right we're in charge of our own thoughts we're in charge of how we see the world we have a little bit more control i think than people may think when it comes to our circumstances and it it starts with how you perceive the world and the thoughts that go through your head is that kind of where you're going i would i would say it's pretty close so the word control is very funny um so it's not really about control in, in a traditional sense where we are kind of forcing these things or, or trying to manipulate our thoughts in any way. It actually, the most, I guess the time that we would feel most in control is when we're the freest. Um, I would say we have more choice 
uh, control doesn't create freedom. And you can see that in like communism. <laughs> um, and it creates the opposite effect. What I would say is choice creates that freedom, the power to choose and to realize that thinking is the root cause of our suffering and you can let go of it. Like that is a choice that we make to let go. It's also a choice to keep thinking about the thoughts that we have in our minds. So that's essentially what it is. Like you, you can see in nature, like nothing's really controlling. Like if we go and chop down a tree, the tree will fall. It, it, nature won't control us and say, no, you're not cutting down this tree. Um, and, and everything has free will in that sense. So it's, it's really about allowing. Um, and it, it's, it's a interesting dichotomy, but it's really about the acceptance of whatever comes in, like whatever thoughts, like don't fight the thought that comes in. Like, can't control that if we try to control quote unquote our thoughts we're gonna have a bad time <laughs> you can't control your thoughts so it's about allowing accepting and allowing that thing to pass that's it, it's not attaching ourselves to it is actually what freedom comes from not necessarily control um but in that is total freedom because how much of the world can we actually control pretty much none of it <laughs> But we can choose whether we, you know, are the reactor to our world or the creator of it. And I think that is one of the greatest weapons that we wield is, is yeah. the power of choice. Great distinction. Thank you for that. I, and that brings me to this next point I wanted to bring up. So when I, when I bought the book and it came in the mail, I opened it up just to one random page and it happened to be my most favorite page of the entire book because it has probably a top three favorite quote on it. And I'm going to read it for my listeners here because I just, I absolutely love it. It's the first page of chapter 12 and it's titled, nothing is either good or bad. And I posted this on my Instagram a few months ago, which is so cool that it kind of lined up that way. There's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so William Shakespeare. Here's an analogy that helps put this into perspective on a piano. There are 88 keys. When we look at a piano, we don't point out specific keys for no reason and say that the key is wrong. We only think a specific key is wrong if we think someone is playing a specific song and hits a key that isn't in the song. Inherently, the piano has no wrong keys, though. There are only keys and notes that sound more or less pleasant when played consecutively. Just like how there are no wrong keys on the piano, there are no wrong decisions in life. There's only thinking that gives us pleasant or not so pleasant feelings. When we put things into a bucket of right or wrong, good or bad, this creates duality and conditions in our lives, which determine how we feel. I love it. You got to talk to me about why things aren't good or bad. It's one of my favorite ideas. Yeah, that. Oh, man, I love that so much. Sometimes I forget what I write. <laughs> it is remarkable. I'm like, wow, that is good. That's your book, man. That's you. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I totally forget because that, that thing um, came through me, but it wasn't created like by me. Um, and that's how I feel with any act of creation, really. Um, we're just a vessel or a vehicle for it. So I'm not really attached to it. And that's why I forget a lot of times. Um, and I always want to remain in that state. Um, so if the book burns up or completely gets eradicated from the planet, I'm not going to cry about it because something else will come through. <laughs> I don't know what it is. That's perfectly fine. Um, so like, like I was saying in, in that specific excerpt, thinking is 
oh man, like it is so crazy what phenomenon happens when we when we start thinking about the thoughts. Um, there's there's a lot of philosophers that talk about the idea of that we're living in our heads more than in actual reality, and that's very true. Most of which is causing us immense suffering isn't what's happening right now. Like like right now, where what are you doing currently? Probably walking, probably just working out, probably sitting around doing something or doing work. But like, are you actually in that event right now that you think is causing you suffering? And so that's what thinking does is it, it creates duality. It creates that right or wrong, and it splits us from reality. That's really at the core of what it does. Um, what we think is not what actually is. For example, if I hold up an apple and I say the word apple, the word apple isn't actually an apple, but it points to an apple. But most of us live in, in this uh, world of vernacular, of words, of thinking, but it's not actually reality. Reality is this now. It, it has no narration. It, it's the experience of it. I can't explain to you what reality is because it doesn't make it reality anymore. <laughs> and so it's funny because the more words I use to try to describe it, the further away we actually get from it. But what I can do is try to use these words to help you point, to help point you to your reality, to, to whatever it is you're experiencing. Um, but yeah, I would say that most of us live in that, that idea. Um, and that's where all the suffering comes from. Uh, so it's a really crazy thing to just become aware of. Um, and it's, it's an interesting idea to try to integrate into your being because it's like, how can things not be right or wrong? Like, isn't people who commit crimes, like, aren't they doing something right or wrong? Or like, what about people that kill other people? And like all these different things that, you know, people bring up. Okay. Like, what good is it for us to continually judge other people what they're doing and like are you, are you killing other people like are like you know we're always trying to bring the the focus externally Let, let's let's bring it back to us what matters is you like nothing else right now at the end of the day it's it's you who goes to bed with your own thinking you're not going to bed with that murderer like you're, you're gonna be okay um that's their thing to deal with and if you're murdering people that's something that you probably want to deal with um and it probably doesn't feel that great um, there's always a reason behind someone does something. And a great example is they're just looking out in nature. Like there are animals that are killing other animals, but are we putting them in jail? Like, like I'm not saying that killing is good. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just what is like these things happen. Um, but if we're going to reject that reality and saying that these people are fundamentally evil, like who does that make us? Like, how can we be the judge of that? Like, how, what do we know their childhood? Do we know how they were raised? Do we know how they were conditioned? Do we know that if, if they were ever shown love in their lives? Like, if I were in their position, how could I say that I wouldn't do the same thing that they did? I can't. Um, and to me, that's not really relevant because it's not what I'm experiencing right now. Um, but if it comes into my life and I'm affected by it, then I'll address it. But most of us, again, like that's just thinking, saying, what about other people? What about... It doesn't matter right now. We're not there right now. Um, and so I always try to bring that focus back in. But really, like, how do you know if a decision is good or bad? There's no possible way you could possibly, like, they could tell. There's some people that win the lottery. Everyone thinks that's great. But then most people lose the majority of that cash within, like, the couple first couple years. Um, so, like, is that really a good or bad thing? Um, 
Like, for example, I lost basically my business in, in the past. Is that a good or bad thing? That's terribly, that's a terrible circumstance that happened, but it led me to write my book. So what is good or bad? Those things that happened to you in the past, how can you possibly say if they're good or bad? If it's what led you to who you are right now, what you're doing right now, would you experience the things that, that you're experiencing? Would you like the same things that you like without all those things? So it's, it doesn't really help to label things good or bad to say that person's right or wrong. But what that does with internally is create negative emotions. It creates guilt. It creates shame. It creates all of these things that doesn't make us feel great. So at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. How we feel. Not, is this person good or bad? Are they evil? Are they going to heaven or hell? Like none of that is, is relevant. Um, but look at what that's making us feel. There really isn't, we just don't have a lot of perspective. We just don't have enough time to know if it's going to be good or bad. I came across a study once, Joseph, that would talk to a, a large number of cancer survivors. And if you were diagnosed with cancer, I think most people would probably, if they had to, they would probably put that in the bad category. If we, I mean, of course, we're not trying to go good or bad, but most people would go to the bad category. However, after they survived uh, cancer, they were interviewed and talked about if you were to do life over again, and we were to grant you the wish of not going through cancer, mm. would you do that? And they all, or the vast majority elected, no, I would still go through that because it made me who I am today. I mean, how powerful mm. is that? None of us would sign up and say, hey, I'm in for cancer, mm. but right. I'm a vast majority. It was like, like an 80 to 90% said, no, I would go through that again. I wouldn't be the strong person I am today if I didn't go through that bout in my life. What are your thoughts? That's, that's exactly it. Um, like we just don't know. We have no idea. And, and to label it would only create conditions and, and restrictions on what we could possibly receive from that event. An event is an event. That's it. No interpretation of it. But it's only when we interpret it that that's what creates that, that negative emotion. Like, for example, my fiance, she uh, developed this condition called gastroparesis paralysis of the stomach, essentially. And she has to get a feeding tube. That's absolutely terrible but because of that she left nursing uh, her nursing job that she, it was one of her dream jobs after a couple months because her health was so bad but then she started a youtube channel and it started selling and now she has like a thriving etsy business from it and right now she's just selling over there and embroidering and doing all these things and wow. helping tons of people through the same condition wow like just, it's absolutely amazing so it's like how can we know if anything is good or bad and someone else who's going through that too might flip it into a bad situation where they sure. don't do anything, where it destroys their life. So it's like, we don't know though, but that's not the end of their story if they are going through really hard times. So we just don't know. And it's, there's no point in labeling. There's no point in creating those conditions or judgments because who are we to say that? And that at the end of the day, like we don't know. So why would we, why, why would we try to determine that? someone else or even for ourselves before the whole thing is played out um we just have to see where it goes and you know uh, like i was saying before it, it's so important it's like how do we feel when we do that we don't like it all we have to do is stop doing it um knowing that the thinking is only causing that so yeah it's it's a beautiful thing to to be liberated from the right or wrong to constantly walk around and saying i don't like that person or this person's awesome or even on the flip side right like if we start judging that people are great, amazing, and all these things, and that might create attachment to them and saying, oh, I only want to be around people that are like that. And then we completely 
like disregard all other people. Like again, attachment to either creates suffering. It, it's very interesting. So to to break that vicious cycle, we don't need to label anything. Um, thinking is what does that. And if we just allow things to be as they are, then that's where freedom is. So Jocko Willick is a former uh, Navy SEAL badass author, and he kind of talks about this like we were talking about good versus bad. But to him, everything is good. And he's got a really powerful video I want to show you. One of my direct subordinates, one of my guys that worked for me, he would he would call me up or pull me aside with some major problem, some issue that was going on. And he'd say, boss, we got this and that and the other thing. And I'd look at him and I'd say, good. And finally, one day he was telling me about some issue that he was having some problem. And he said, I already know what you're going to say. And I said, well, what am I going to say? He said, you're going to say good. He said, that's what you always say. When something is wrong and going bad, you always just look at me and say, good. And I said, well, yeah, when things are going bad, there's going to be some good that's going to come from it. Didn't get the new high speed gear we wanted. Good. Didn't get promoted. Good. More time to get better. Oh, mission got canceled. Good. We can focus on another one. Didn't get funded. Didn't get the job you wanted. Got injured. Sprained my ankle. Got tapped out. Good. Got beat. Good. You learned. Unexpected problems. Good. We have the opportunity to figure out a solution. That's it. When things are going bad, don't get all bummed out. Don't get startled. Don't get frustrated. If you can say the word good, guess what? It means you're still alive. It means you're still breathing. And if you're still breathing, well, now you still got some fight left in you. So get up, dust off, reload, recalibrate, re-engage go out on the attack. So pretty intense, but the same kind of idea here and, and, and not labeling things good or bad is what we talked about, but he labels everything as good. What are your thoughts? I love that. It's, it's, um, what's so beautiful about it is that he has his own way of expressing the same thing. And I think when he does that, what it does is it's actually like an acceptance of what is you're not fight he's not fighting it that's the key he's not saying no like this is the worst thing that could have happened or whatever else that pops into the mind it's just okay you can replace the word good with anything like okay or that's what it is or it, it's whatever it is but what's more interesting is not the word that he uses but who he is being essentially like like what's what's the philosophy behind that word that's what I'm more interested in. Because if you walk around and say good to everything, like that's not going to change it. Like that's not going to do anything. Like a baby can walk around and say good to everything. Like that's not going to um, change our lives in any way. But what's more interesting is what's behind that. And what he's really doing is accepting what is. There's no fighting reality. There's no, I wish it were different or anything like that. 
Um, so I love the way that he framed it. Um, but I really do believe that it's, it's, uh, a, a wonderful expression of the same fundamental idea of truth, uh, that we don't really know what's going to come from it. We have, we just no way to predict it. There's no way that we can try to control it or even change it for that matter, which is a very interesting thing to even think about is like, we're not going and trying to change reality. Um, but what's interesting is that when you accept reality for what it is, how we feel changes. And that's more important than trying to change the external world. Say that one but more time. When we, when we accept, say that again, we accept reality. So we're not meant to try to change reality. But when we accept reality for what it is, how we feel changes. That is more important than anything else because reality is always going to change. That's the only constant in life. But if we want to try to control it and do all these, that's why the, it's a beautiful quote by Cheryl is like, you know, once you become aware, you can't help but change. Like the fact of life is change. So we don't have to go try changing <laughs> like our reality. It's, it's always going to do that. Like look back a couple of years ago, like what's the same? Very little. Um, if anything, and probably the only thing that did remain the same is the things that we held onto in our minds. So it's all about accepting what is and then stepping into the unknown of the present moment to see what comes up. Um, that's what it is in sports. Like if we're going to constantly fight and try to like, no, like, like try to like, let's say you were down or something like that on the score. And it's like, oh, I need to try to change that. It's like, like, what's, what's the whole point of thinking, oh my God, I'm off my game or all oh, like, like I'm not doing my best or I'm not enough or I should have trained harder. Like, how is that any of that relevant to what's going on right now? And just because that's what the score is, or that's what your performance is currently, doesn't mean that that's what it's going to be. Um, and so it's a very cool way to do it when you're doing any sort of uh, performing or sports. And the unknown is the best place to be because that's where the tides turn. You have no idea what's going to happen in the next moment. And the best athletes in the world are not the ones that overanalyze and overthink everything. I always love listening to some of those interviews of like uh, some of the athletes that win a gold medal or like Michael Jordan after he wins something or Kobe or like all the reporters are like, oh my God, like what were you thinking during that final shot that you were making? And, and the greatest master is always like, I wasn't. Right. It's a simple answer. <laughs> That's it. They weren't thinking. If they did, they wouldn't have made it. They wouldn't have done what they needed to in that moment. When we think there's no time to act, because if you're thinking, you're not acting. And so they rely on everything that they've done up to that point and let go of any sort of um, narration in the mind. Your best performance was not when you were thinking about everything. You can't possibly try to calculate. Like sports is so complicated. There's no way you could possibly try to calculate the trajectory of the ball, the, the weight that you're lifting, the, the people coming at you, who's defending, who's not, who's free, who's not. There's no way you could possibly try to manually calculate all of that. You just move. And that's what you want to rely on. Just raw instinct, your intuition, and letting go of anything that's blocking you from being able to see what's right in front of you. It doesn't matter what 10 steps are ahead of you. No, that's not relevant at all. It doesn't matter what happened 10 steps ago too. What matters is right now. And whoever is more present 
essentially performs the best. And that's when you're in a state of flow. When you're not thinking, when you're not thinking, you're automatically in a state of flow. It's a very interesting phenomenon. It's, most people think flow is very complicated. You have to do all of these criteria. You have to like match these things up. You have to be training uh, like just above your comfort zone and like doing setting up the environment. This none of that matters. If you're not thinking, you're in flow. Plain and simple. Um, that's that's really where we we are at our best. Um, so that's how it's relevant to sports and and everything that we're talking about. But it's 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 a beautiful way to to kind of go about it and to realize how simple it actually is. You mentioned another one of my favorite words, presence. And when I think about being in the moment, not overthinking, I think that word present is probably a synonym for all this stuff. Because when you're not present, we're thinking in the future, we're worried, we're anxious. That's when anxiety creeps in. Uh, when we're thinking about the past, maybe it's more about comparison, maybe depression creeps in. But being very present has got to be a major focal point of this. What are your thoughts when you hear that word? And maybe also, how can people be, be more present? We talked about in the beginning, being in a world full of distraction and noise and all that. I mean, presence is a word that's becoming more or is an act that's becoming more and more rare than it ever has been unfortunately. Yeah. So it's a great question. And there's a reason why I haven't mentioned it much. Presence is a byproduct of not thinking. That's why I haven't talked about it because I can try to tell you how the how to being present. No, that's relevant. <laughs> like it's like, oh yeah, like you should do meditation in the morning or you should do yoga or you should do all these regimen and you should journal daily and you should do. That's not going to help you become present. Like it can help, but it's probably not going to like, like how many times do people actually stick with their routines or habits or whatever it is like, and I haven't talked about it because presence isn't an action. It's actually an inaction. Just like how focus is not a goal. Like the way to focus is not to try to focus. It's to eliminate all distractions. And as a byproduct, you are focused. It's the same thing with presence. If you let go of all thinking, you're automatically present. It's plain and simple as that. The whole point of meditation is for you to not think about your thoughts. Not thinking, a lot of people get confused too. It doesn't mean a state of no thought. Not thinking means not thinking about the thoughts that are in your mind because they will come in and they will go. But if you think about it, the thoughts will not go. They freeze. And that's what causes the suffering. Is what stays in the mind. A great analogy for this is, you know, if I'll ask you this, because I always love uh, the interaction. But for example, DJ, like if you ate any food, doesn't matter if it's good or bad, you ate a lot of food, and it stays in your system for like three weeks without you passing it, what do you think is going to happen? Um, I mean, I'm sure I'll pass it at some point, but it's probably going to be it's going to be become a part of me? I don't know. Uh, let's say it's three months. Like if the same food stays in your system. Yeah. <laughs> Something's probably wrong, man. <laughs> right. You're going to experience indigestion, probably a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of the, like you're probably going to create some sort of diseases. If all that food stays in there and doesn't pass. The same is true for our thoughts. Just like food, it's supposed to come and go through us. Thoughts are supposed to come and go through us, but whatever food stays in our system for far too long, like even just a, a week, if it stays in there, it doesn't like that's going to be painful. Imagine a thought though, 
most of us don't hold on to thoughts for just a week, but for months, years, decades, lifetimes, like you were saying. That's what causes the suffering, holding on to the thought, not the thought itself. That's irrelevant. Doesn't matter what food, it could be the healthiest food in the world. You could eat like just organic beets, but if it stays in your system, it's going to cause you a lot of pain and suffering. Same thing with the thought. It's a good thought, if you try to freeze it, it will cause you suffering too. Um, very interesting uh, phenomenon because you, you, you get attached to that good thought of, oh, like I'm grateful only when this thing happens. So like if, if I accomplish this and I'm grateful for it, then like, oh, like I have to keep accomplishing to, to feel that gratitude. Not true. Not true at all. Um, so that's what people ask about. What about positive thinking? It can help, but do you want to be thinking all day? Like, do you only want to be happy and grateful when you're constantly having that chatter in your mind? Like, that's tiring. <laughs> that's really tiring. Like, if the only time you're going to be happy is, I'm enough, I'm grateful, I'm enough. Like, who's going to walk around and repeat that to themselves for 12 hours a day in order to be happy? That's, that's, that's absurd. Um, but I realize you don't have to do that in order to find peace and to feel joy and love. As long as we're just not thinking about whatever is coming into our minds, then that's where the serenity comes from. Um, but that's, again, the byproduct of that is presence. We are here when we're not thinking. Like you were saying, thinking creates the past. The duality of life creates the past and it creates the future. And if we're in either one of those, we're not in the present. Without thinking, the past is gone. The future doesn't exist. And we're back into the present moment. So all of this to say that it is a byproduct of us not thinking. Um, and I, I love that because if I, if I prescribed, you know, on my spiritual high horse, hey, we all need to meditate, which I don't meditate daily. <laughs> um, you know, if I prescribe meditation to help you become present, that means when you are meditating, that's the only time you can be present. Not true. Why would, why would we create that condition? I was really pissed off because I went to Dr. Joe Dispenza uh, retreat. I'm sure you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. Seven days in Cancun. Crazy, crazy experience. Like three to four hours of meditation a day. Wow. Sometimes at like three or 4 a.m. it starts. Um, walking meditations even. And so after all that, it was like the most amazing experience ever. I was in total bliss when I was meditating. When I got home, I started meditating for an hour, at least a day for about a month. The most interesting thing happened after I did that. 10 minutes after or 20 minutes after I would stop meditating, I would immediately start feeling anxious or like worried about something or fear or not enough. And I got pissed because I just invested an hour into this meditation and the payoff, the dividends of this thing is only 10 minutes. Like that just didn't feel fair to me, but life isn't fair. It's balanced. So I was so angry because I was like, what else am I supposed to do? Like, am I supposed to meditate all day? And so then I asked myself, what if I could feel what I feel during the meditation all day? How would I go about doing that? And what I realized was meditation was literally just to help train me to not think about my thoughts. Mm. But what would happen if I just, if I started thinking about my thoughts in real time, what if I stopped that right then and there? So then every single moment of my day became a meditation instead of it only being reserved in the morning 
or 10 minutes or whatever it is. And so when I started doing that from then on, that radically changed my life because I didn't have to wait until tomorrow. If I'm feeling bad, I'm like, ah, oh, I got to wait until I meditate tomorrow morning and then I'll be able to feel like, no, <laughs> like, like I, in real time, right then and there, I could be like thinking is root cause of all suffering. And I'm thinking right now, which is why I'm feeling this way. And I can let go of that thinking. And I take a couple of breaths and it could take some time, sometimes a couple minutes, sometimes 10, sometimes 20, whatever time it takes. I, I do it. I give myself that grace and, and that space to allow it to pass. And if I need to feel something, I'll feel it, but I'm not going to resist. It. I'm not going to fight it because that's what emotions are meant for. They're meant to be felt. Um, feelings are meant to be felt is one of the favorite quotes I've, I've heard of. Um, but that's really the whole point of it. So yeah, I, I love that, uh, that idea. And yeah, that's why I didn't prescribe uh, meditation or yoga or whatever. You can find, it doesn't matter what you do. Um, you can find total peace here and now without trying to do anything. <laughs> um, but those practices can help, right? It's not good or bad. If you feel inclined to do it, if you feel your intuition hit of like, I'm going to go do yoga, like perfectly fine. This, this uh, idea, it, it's so beautiful because it, um, I would say that it complements everything. It doesn't contradict any religion. It doesn't contradict any uh, philosophy. It doesn't contradict any modality of healing or present or meditation. It only enhances it. And gives you a deeper understanding of what's actually happening behind the curtains. And if you're still meditating, meditate. But now that you know this, this is going to, it's going to radically change your experience of meditation. Because you're not going to be attached to the thoughts. You're not going to try to fight the thoughts. Or you're not going to be pissed off when the thoughts come in. And you, like, because you know that they're inevitable, but thinking about them is unnecessary. Um, yoga, for example, too. Like none of that's, this is only going to enhance your, 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 your yogic experience. Um, working out, same thing. We only feel bad if we're looking in the mirror and there's another person right there that's like way more fit, stronger, whatever it is. But then we realize that, oh, I'm just thinking about it. I don't need to think about that. And you're right back. You're focused again. You're present again. And that's how this philosophy can be integrated into everything that you're doing. Um, so you don't have to like give up what your beliefs are in order to, to see the effects of this. It complements it um, wonderfully well. Awesome. This has been great. I want to kind of close down with just some takeaways uh, for some of my listeners. I'm thinking about somebody who they're an over a classic overthinker, and because of that, they are reluctant to take action. I'm curious on what types of advice do you have for people out there that are overthinking and coming up with excuses on why not to start something and their overthinking is preventing them from just taking the leap. Maybe it's something as simple as asking somebody out. Maybe it's somebody, maybe it's uh, starting or uh, writing a book. Maybe it's creating a YouTube channel. There's these things that they're just thinking over and over on maybe why they can't do it. Talk to me about those people. What advice do you have for somebody to become move from an uh, overthinker to an action doer. Mm -hmm. So it's not different than what we've talked about, but I'll put it in a different lens to, to help uh, explain it. The reason why we overthink is because we think it's helping us. But is it actually? Like no one's crazy enough to keep overthinking if they don't realize that it's not helping them. But first realize how much overthinking, how, how often has overthinking ever helped me? Probably never. 
So do you want to keep doing that? Is this thinking serving you? Um, that will exacerbate the pain that you're feeling. Good. Don't fight it. That's the whole point. Pain is the catalyst for change. So the more that you can question yourself and, and, and almost intensify that pain, that's what will move us into uh, action. It's very rare that people will change without pain. Pretty rare, unless you're like pretty much enlightened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so use that to your advantage. Allow yourself to feel that pain. Like, like how good is a workout if you're not in pain? Like, if you're not putting your body in stress, like how, how good is that going to be uh, in terms of growth for your body? So the mind is the same way. So allow yourself to feel that. And then I'll also ask yourself, like, we're also not afraid of what we think we're afraid of. We are not afraid of what we're afraid of. We're afraid of what we'll feel if we do that thing. Talk to me about that. So, for example, if you want to go ask out that person, the act of asking them out is not what you're afraid of. You're afraid of the rejection that you'll feel if it doesn't work out. At the end of the day, although we're all optimizing for feelings, we're also avoiding feelings. The avoidance of feelings is what determines our behaviors. That's what creates vices. That's what creates habits. That's what creates drinking problems, shopping, overeating, overindulging in any sort of thing. So ask yourself, what are you avoiding feeling? That event is not what you're afraid of. You're afraid of how you'll feel after it. And once you become aware of that, it opens a whole new world because then you start to be very real with yourself and saying, I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of not feeling enough. I'm afraid that I may never find the love of my life. That's totally okay. And that's human. But the more that you try to fight that and resist it, the more you're going to not move and constantly feel that, that pain and suffering. So that's kind of the first step is to realize what you're avoiding feeling and allow yourself to feel that way. I mean, I mean, actually, like, it's crazy because we think that we have to wait for that event. If we're by not taking action, that we're avoiding feeling that feeling that we don't want to feel, but ask yourself, how do you feel right now? Do you feel like you're not going to get the love of your life? Do you feel like you're not enough? Do you feel like, uh, that you're, not strong enough or courageous enough or whatever it is. What's crazy is that you feel that now anyway, before mm -hmm. you even, that event even happens. Right. What you're afraid of feeling is already what you're feeling now. That's the crazy part. So when you realize that it is so liberating and what you want to do now is to allow yourself to feel it because you, you haven't been feeling it. You've been avoiding feeling those things. And feelings are meant to be felt. And once you feel them, they will start losing their charge. It's, um, I, I would compare it to like when you're, when you have a phone, like the battery drains in it when you start using it, right? Feelings as they are being felt, the negative ones at least, it will discharge the 
the intensity of it. So allow yourself to feel those emotions in its highest intensity, but know that you are not the feeling, that you are the one experiencing those feelings. And the more that you're able to accept and allow whatever your feeling is, you're not accepting that you're not good enough. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying accept the feeling of it. Once you allow yourself to feel all those things, it it, it really uh, discharges whatever that emotion is. It's really beautiful. Um, and once that happens, then it will pass. That's really it. Emotions are what? Just energy in motion. But the but if you do not allow that energy to be in motion, it will cause you frustration and suffering. So allow yourself to feel that emotion so that it can pass. And it will. Um, as with everything in life. If we're resisting that, then that's only going to cause uh, more, more pain. So that's really the process. Um, and and it, you can go back to what we were saying before of like, you know, we're only suffering because we're thinking. So thinking is the root cause of all suffering. And what I'm thinking right now is I'm if I'm afraid to go and, and ask that person out, then it's only my thinking that's causing that fear. And I'm only afraid of feeling what, what that might feel like. But if I can let that go, because I realize that it's, it's causing me immense suffering, then I'll move. Um, and that's really all it is. The, 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 more the, the more okay you are with the feeling of fear, the more you'll move or do something. And know that it's, it's just a feeling. It's at the end of the day, all it is. We're, we're, we're more afraid of the feeling of fear than what we're actually afraid of. So allow yourself to feel fear. It's okay to do so. And the more that you can do that, you'll train your body to understand that when you're in a fight or flight mode or when, when you're in a state of fear, it's okay. That's what it is. Like the most, uh, the, the most, um, the, I would say the, the strongest people in the world are not the ones that are actually fearless. They still feel fear. They're human. It's that true courage is feeling fear and being able to move anyway and knowing that they're okay, even though they feel it. They might not say, I'm afraid. But they, they, they do realize that they are, and they say it's okay to feel that completely. Um, but if we think that it's not okay to feel fear and that we're uh, not good enough or we're weak when we feel fear and that we shouldn't feel fear, then that again causes the thinking and that, you know, or it, it, the thinking causes that. And then again, we suffer uh, because of that. So it's, it's completely okay to feel those things and allow yourself to do that. And that's how you move through anything. Um, I think that's uh, at, at its core what, what the process really is. Another really insightful quote from your book is, if you want to find the truth, look for simplicity. And when you've said a few times in this conversation, Joseph, is that thinking is the root cause of suffering. Although that is not enough words to write a book, if you were to sum everything up into one sentence, I'm sure that's the sentence you would use. That's that's it. That the whole book was just that, and it's funny because like the book only like a hundred some pages, like it's not like one hundred ten, but it's all to explain what that really means and how we can integrate it into our lives. So, but yeah, that's that's really it. that's probably the most powerful thing I could possibly try to transmit, um, and you know. There's a, a second part to it, which is like, what do you do after you stop thinking? 
Um, and I'll do my best to sum it up pretty concisely. But essentially, when you stop thinking, you uh, you create space for something greater to come through you. Because where do thoughts come from? It's not from you. It's from somewhere else, and it just pops in. So you can use that same mechanism to receive new ideas, new creations, new thoughts. And that's what you want to follow is, is this intuition. You want to rely on those instincts and intuition, especially in sports. Like that's what you're relying on when you're performing, when you're competing. You're not relying on just manual processing and, and thinking. So that's how you can carry your whole entire life flow. I, I, you know what I see a lot for, for athletes is that they, they think they're, they are at their best when they're on the court or in the weight room or doing or performing or whatever it is, but they don't take those same principles and apply it everywhere else. Use those same principles every single other part of your life. Cause like they may be the best athlete in the world, but then they'll have all these vices. Like you don't want that for yourself. Apply the same things you apply there to your daily life. Um, it's not different. It, it might look like a different circumstance, but it's the same thing that you can utilize. So in the same way that you're in flow, that you're releasing all thinking when you're uh, performing or competing or anything like that, use that same thing in daily life. There's no difference to it. So instead of trying to overthink everything of like, you know, like, what are you going to do next? What's your five-year plan? Or like any of those things, it's like, what's, what's here right now? And if I let go of all thinking, what, what is coming to me right now? And my favorite way to kind of know what to do next is to not try to plan five years out, but to plan just the next step. That's all we need. Like, especially in the court too, or, or in, when, you're, when you're competing, all you need to do is the next step. You're not trying to think 15 ahead. Um, I mean, that's, that's the best like chess players in the world too. They, they deal with what's at hand. Um, so that's essentially what I would say. And uh, a way to help follow your intuition is by asking yourself what feels expansive and unknown. Instead of saying, what's the best for me now? Or like, what's going to get me ahead in life? Or what's going to give me success? Like, none of that matters. What matters is how you feel at the end of the day. Not just at the end of the day, but right now. So follow what feels expansive and unknown. And that will have, or that will be coupled with a tinge of fear because it's unknown. Totally normal, but fear is just an indication that something is, is uh, important to you. Fear is an invitation into the present moment. Any emotion is an invitation to the present moment. You're meant to feel it. So if you're feeling those things as you move towards what's expansive and unknown to you, that's a good sign. Um, and, and you can't justify it with logic. You won't be able to. There's no way. It might tell you to go try this new sport. It might tell you to go like do a different workout routine. It might tell you to, you know, go ask this person out or to talk to this random person you never thought you would do or whatever it is. Um, follow what feels expansive and unknown. And, you know, if you realize that thing is root cause of all suffering, and let that go and follow that. Like that's that's the recipe. Um, that's what I would condense the, the framework, if you will, down to those two steps. It's very, very simple, but it will radically change your life if you actually uh, remember it and live it. Joseph, you're full of wisdom and great advice, man. I really appreciated this conversation. For my listeners, as we close down here, where can I point them to either get to know you, learn more from you, or obviously pick up the book? What, uh, where can they go? Yeah. So the best way I would say is to pick up the book. 
um, so which is on Amazon, which is Don't Believe Everything You Think. And you can just type my name on Amazon too. Uh, that would be by far the best way to really get a full experience of what we're talking about from start to finish. After that, I do have a YouTube channel on Instagram. So you can just type in my name and find me on YouTube and also on Instagram. Uh, but that's really all you need. You don't really need to follow me on those things. <laughs> and honestly, just take the, take the book, run with it. You don't need to keep consuming content, create space for yourself. Uh, go on that information diet, eliminate as much external stimulus as you can. And so that you can really hear that inner voice that you have, um, that intuition. So that's what I would say. I don't want to perpetuate the, the cycle of content consumption other than just the book. <laughs> awesome. Joseph, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. This was really a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much, DJ. It was amazing. Thank you.